Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. Everyone doing well? Yes. Halfway through the week? Yes. Come in to get filled, refreshed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God, the anointing power of God when he goes before us. Amen. Please open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to finish off that passage tonight, and as the Lord should uh, lead into chapter 17 and maybe even 18, uh, lest I get too ambitious. Last we left off, if you remember, we were talking about Mep, Mehibosheth, and specifically um, his servant Ziba had gone, had met with David as David was fleeing because Absalom, his son, was basically forming a coup against him uh, to not only kill him, kill his brothers, but then also turn around and take, take the kingship that way. And so as that was all going on, you remember that David uh, had fled. He had got out of that area because he knew it was going to create a civil war and mass casualty, mass death. And certainly David knew that was a lose-lose situation. I mean, this is his son. He loves his son. As we're going to read in the future chapters, we're going to see just the depths of David's heart for his son, even though his son is actually trying to kill him. Right? It's a perfect example of, you know, we read in our New Testament, how much do we forgive? Seven times 70. Say, you know, what is... There's never an end is the point, you know, it's just a beautiful heart. But also it does allow us to see David's heart that he never actually stepped in and, and properly, um, he was afraid to always offend his children, afraid to always offend his sons. He was more rather interested in being their friends than actually bringing proper discipline that could have kept them from additional sin. Uh, there's not too many faults we can say of David, obviously, we could say, you know, adultery, things like that. He's got a heart after the Lord. But when it came to his children, that certainly uh, was one of his, his downfalls. Shimei, uh, David meets him along the road. Shimei comes up, starts throwing stones, basically cursing him. I mean, truthfully, what he's saying, he's, he's damning him is what he's doing. He's, he's damning him to hell. That's what that means when it says cursing. It's not foul language. It's as much as saying, you know, I, which, again, you know, this is against Scripture because in Deuteronomy it says you're never to take a king or you're never to take someone in authority like that and to damn them or wish them to hell. That's actually sin against those that are of God's anointed or those that are um, uh, in leadership, Exodus chapter 22, verse 28. Well, he went on and he's throwing the stones and, and says, now the king, in verse 14, and all the people who are with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there after they kind of make their way through this. And I thought it's interesting, because as we read in future chapters, you know, I, not to, I think many of you have studied this account, but if you haven't, uh, just to let you know how this is going to turn, uh, Absalom is going to end up losing his life. Uh, a very interesting way, maybe that five or ten pounds of hair had something to do with it. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But as he ends up losing his life and David comes back in, Shimei uh, isn't very far behind. David, you know I didn't really mean that. David, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really cursing you and damning you to hell. And so quickly he realized what was about to happen. And yet David's heart was like, you know what, Shimei? You know, that's between you and the Lord. You know, I just thought, what a beautiful heart. Well, so we're going to pick up here in verse 15. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Father, we do thank you. Uh, for preserving, again, the Scripture, the Holy Word of God. I pray you'd anoint it to our hearts here this evening. Uh, Lord, uh, you, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray you give application this evening um, to all these things we read about um, aspects in our lives, Lord, as we're going to start out here with uh, Absalom, Lord, and he's going to call a staff meeting, God, and 
just to see the things that are going to unfold in man's wisdom, Lord. He, 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 was, he was able to kill. He's able to do all these things, shed blood. He's, but, Lord, he has no idea how to lead because all leadership comes from your true anointing, Lord. And we acknowledge that. It's always because of you, God. It's always through your proper leading. So, God, we are your servants. Instruct us and guide us here tonight, Lord, that in our lives we may live out the scriptures to be those living epistles, Lord. We ask that in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Have your way in us. And all God's people pray. Amen. So if you look in verse 15 here with me, meanwhile, Absalom, again, he's going to have a staff meeting, if I can say it that way. He's calling a staff meeting. All the people are going to get together. And he's actually going to get two different words of wisdom or counsel. One is certainly not wise. The other one is really prophetic in the way that God um, answered David's prayer. And we'll, uh, as we get there, I'll point that out. But meanwhile, Absalom and the, all the people of the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hoshai, now you remember Hoshai, we read about him earlier, right? In chapter 15, uh, verse 32, 32 there, he, uh, he had come, he's older, he's about 80 years old at this point. He's one of David's uh, trusted confidants that way. David had sent him back to be a spy uh, for Absalom to, to basically report back to the priests, and then the priests were to report that information back to David. So there's a chain of sort of uh, spy or command that's supposed to happen here. Well, and so it was when Hoshai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hoshai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king, obviously pretending loyalty here. So Absalom said to Hoshai, is that your loyalty to your friend? Speaking of David, why did you not go with your friend? And Hoshai said to Absalom, no, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel chose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Now, clearly he's lying, but is he? In the forefront, he's lying because obviously he's lying to Absalom, but what he's saying is he not pledging that allegiance to really King David because that's who his loyalty was for, right? Uh, in the sense that he is there to serve the true king. Absalom was never anointed by God. David was anointed by God. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son as I have served in your father's presence? So I will be in your presence. Again, kind of a play on words there. Now, Absalom said to Ahithophel, now when you see these two together, I want you to think of the brothers in bitterness, BB, brothers in bitterness, because this is exactly what's going on. with this. By the time we finish these next chapters, two chapters, both of these men will be dead. One will have committed suicide. The one will be caught up because his hair gets wrapped up in the brush in the woods of where he's going to attack in this battle that's going to happen. Both of these men are dead, and both of these men are consumed with bitterness. Absalom was consumed with the bitterness of how he hated his brother, Amnon, who's now dead. He murdered him because he had raped his sister. And now Ahithophel is consumed with bitterness because his granddaughter, Bathsheba, was, as he would like to refer to it, violated by King David with no remorse. David never went back, or maybe if he did, there's nothing we have in writing showing in the account where David went back to uh, to um, Ahithophel and said, I'm sorry, you know, for the adultery. I'm sorry. I was, you know, I lusted this, that, and, you know, the whole thing. We never have a record of that, but we do know that certainly David did repent before the Lord for this. 
and we know that in other aspects David did repent. So it's not surprising that David would have gone to Ahithophel and said, Ahithophel, I, you've been with me for 25 years, 20 years. This is your granddaughter. I, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. You know, I, I can imagine that David would have done that. But because of that, he is consumed with bitterness. Now, I want you to see the counsel that this man is about to give Absalom and how disgusting and especially after what his granddaughter has gone through, Bathsheba, and being, if you want to say, uh, pursued that way by somebody who's an authority that would push themselves on Bathsheba that way, using their power or their influence, he himself is now going to turn around and quickly forget, or worse yet, turn around and say, you've hurt me, now I'm going to hurt you tenfold. And that's exactly this Hithophel's far heart. And the, the problem with that is, is when we don't deal with bitterness, when we don't bring our bitterness to the Lord, it, you either get bitter or better. As we grow older, we get bitter or better. If you don't bring that bitterness to God and ask God to give you a new heart or change that heart, it's just going to keep getting bitter until it consumes you. It will consume Absalom and it's going to consume Ahithophel. He's going to end up taking his life because he can't deal with this. Give advice as to what we should do. Now, remember, again, please don't think this is strange as he's having the staff meeting. Ahithophel was David's counselor. He was a wise man. As a matter of fact, they would say you are as wise, not certainly as God, but as the oracles of God, of the commandments and or statutes of God that way, right? Of the ermine of Thuman, you know, the, the, the way of being able to turn the lot of what God would have you to do. We're going to read that in a moment. But that's the high regard that this man, this is this man's legacy. But by the time we finish this chapter, or even the next chapter, and we look at his account, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And to think that this man is throwing it all away because he can't give it to the Lord. Just give this bitterness over, this hate, this anger, this envy, whatever it is, give it to God. So Absalom says, Ahithophel, what, what should we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines. Now, if you remember, he left 10 concubines back to watch the house. David, in his wildest nightmares, never would have imagined that his son Absalom would do the very thing that he's, he's, he's effectively going to rape these 10 women. Now, I, I need you to understand that tonight. David would never have left these women there understanding that his son was capable of such an atrocity. It's beyond even David's understanding how this man can do this, especially after what? Absalom watched Amnon do what? Rape his own sister. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. You see, it's interesting. From man's wisdom, you could see why Ahithophel was doing this. From man's wisdom, this is actually really smart. Just, just listen to me for a minute. I know you're like, what? In that culture of that day, when you would violate or when you would go into your father's concubines or wives or somebody like that, you are declaring your superiority. You are basically saying, he is dead to me. It's beyond repair. There's no possible way that anything in this relationship can ever be salvaged. It's treason, right? Um, it, it's the, I guess, the highest regard of disrespect 
that you could bring to another human being was to go in and to lie with another man's wife that way. It's the highest disrespect in that culture to do something like that. And so when Absalom is doing this, Ahithophel is doing it purposely because he's not stupid. Because what if Absalom and David ever reunite? What does that mean for Ahithophel, who's been with him 25 years, who was loyal to David, then was a traitor to Absalom? What do you think David and Absalom are going to do to Ahithophel? Should they come back together and unite, which they did once already, if you remember? He's going to, he's going to kill him, right? He's going to, capital crime, treason. He's going to Ahithophel's life. So Ahithophel's turning around and he's saying, oh, no, no, that's not going to happen. So I believe that's partly why he was doing this, because not only was I think he was trying to possibly get at David and hurt David that way, because he knew exactly what he was doing by his son doing this, highest disregard, disrespect possible, but he was also securing the, the reality that David and Absalom can never rekindle. They can never come back. There's no way that the two could ever come together again. And so he's protecting his own skin by doing this as well, Ahithophel. Please understand, that's what I mean when I say, if you look at it strategically from man's wisdom, notice I didn't say God's, man's wisdom, you can understand why he's making this, possibly making this suggestion. He says that if you go into your father's concubines who's left to keep the house in all Israel, they will hear you abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house. So you can imagine they had the rooftops in Israel a lot of times, and it can be seen they're not very high. I mean, you can see if you at a distance, you can see all the activity. They basically pitch a tent up there. That doesn't mean with sides. That means a covering on the top to protect from rain or elements like that. And Absalom went into his father concubines in the sight of all Israel. So what a disrespect and disregard this was, not only for these women that he's raping, because that's exactly what he's doing. This is a force against their will. Not only disrespectful to David, because obviously these are David's concubines, right? Now, granted, should David have had concubines? No, right? We all get that. This would have never happened had David followed God's word, one man, one woman for life. We get that, right? We understand that. That's true. But what else, is he, what else is he doing? It says all of Israel. He wants every single person in Israel to recognize he's declaring himself as superior, himself as king. And he's doing that so everybody can see it and declare it. And he knows that by David not coming back or striking, basically all Israel's going to follow him at this point. You're going to have nobody else that's going, well, maybe I'm on the fence, maybe I'm not on the fence. At this point, it's kind of like putting up the white flag, David putting up the, I'm done, I'm done here. Now, the advice of Hithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracles of God. Do you see that? That's how good Ahithophel's advice has normally been, his counsel and his wisdom has always been very spot on. He says, almost as if it was of the oracles of God. But clearly, this is not from the Lord. This is coming from the perversion of the heart. This is from an evil, demonic, dark place. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom, right? And you can go through and you, you, you look back to 2 Samuel chapter, you know, 12, 
You look at verses 11, tell him, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of his son. Do you remember when God brought that punishment upon David and his house back in Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, verse 11? That was a promise that God said, because you brought this upon yourself, David, this is the consequences to your sin. Well, here we see what? Four, five chapters later, four chapters later, we see this very proclamation of God that he declared would happen. We see it fulfilled here. So often, God warns us. He tells us. We blow past the warnings. We blow past the stop signs. And there's a consequence to sin. And if you're anything like me, you often think, well, Maybe that's going to happen to the next guy, but that's not going to happen to me. Certainly, I'm smarter than that, right? And you end up sewing a web, a snare unto yourself. Well, it's God's always right, and there are consequences to sin. While we may be forgiven for our sin, there are still consequences to sin, and we must understand that as born-again believers. Chapter 17, moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, now, let me choose 12,000 men. This is the portion where uh, Absalom, as I'm going to read this, just so you understand, Absalom's going to, first of all, Absalom has done that portion already. He's taken Ahithophel's advice. He's already raped these women. This place is, this has taken place. The next portion of this passage we're reading right now is going to be further advice, God bless you, further advice that Ahithophel is going to be given to Absalom, but he's actually going to go to Hoshai and say, what do you say? And between the two of them, and he's going to eventually say, I'm going to go with Hoshai. I'm not going to go with you, Ahithophel. So this portion will not take place, but this is going to be Ahithophel's advice to Absalom at this point. Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will rise, arise and pursue David tonight. Please notice with me, circle this, I will. You'll count, I will, I will, I will. It's like Isaiah 14, remember? I will be like the God most high, Satan so he says, now let me choose 12,000 men and I will rise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him where he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And at the people who are with him will flee and I will strike only the king. Then I will, the fourth time, bring back all the people to you when all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and the elders of Israel. So what he's saying is, is look, I'm going to go out. No, 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 Absalom, you don't concern yourself with this matter. I'm going to take this personally. I'll take care of this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to find David. I'll bring 12,000 men and we'll kill David. And then I won't let any harm come to the other, any of the other men with David. Now, you have to understand how ridiculous this is. This is truly providence of where... Back in chapter 15, David had prayed and said, please confound the wisdom of Ahithophel. Do you remember that? This is an answer to that prayer. Because these guys that have been with David some 30 years, David's 60 years old now, these men that have been with him, these mighty men, as the term has been called, they're called mighty men, they've been with him loyal for 30 years, as though they're going to let you take their king and kill him and somehow go, okay, everything's okay now, we'll follow Absalom. Absolutely not. Do you realize that Israel, including the tribe of Judah at this point, are all with Absalom? 
David was born of the tribe of Judah. Even his own flesh and bone, his own people have rejected him at this point, other than these 600 might, you know, mighty men and people that have come with him. And what we're going to see is, as God is proclaimed, because David is without fault in this, what we're going to see happen is God's going to continue to bless David, and he's going to add more and more troops. He's going to give David providence, and he's going to eventually give David the victory here. Although David will tell you, he says, I wish it was me, not my son, that would die here. And I think any father or parent can understand that. But it's, it pleased Absalom. He says, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. That tells us that, again, we can be so skewed by the counselors that we surround ourselves with. If we don't have mighty counsel, boy, everything sounds like a good idea. And to Absalom at this point, he's like, sure, all right, that's good. He has no clue. He knew how to turn around and form a coup. He knew how to politic and kiss everybody's hand and the babies at the gates as they were coming in for judgment. Oh, I, if I was judge, I would, have, I would have weighed in this way. But he has no, how, no idea how to lead and no idea how to lead righteously. He's not certainly even being close to led by God. Now, we're going to read the advice of Hoshai. Then Absalom said, now call Hoshai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. Again, the staff meeting's going on. And when Hoshai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel is spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. He's sort of testing Hoshai at this point. Hey, Hoshai, you know, you were with dad. You're no longer a dad. You said you're loyal to me now. What do you think about this? You think it's a good idea, Hoshai? So Hoshai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given you is not good at this time. He's going to go on to say, David is a man of war. Do you think you're going to even be able to get to him? He has spent 20 plus years in the wilderness hiding out from Saul. He knows all the caves, all the pits, all the dens. He knows everywhere to hide. You'll never see him coming just like Saul didn't. By the time you even think you're getting close to him, his men will have already surrounded you. You have no clue, Absalom. For said Hoshai, you know your father and his men, and they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds. They're, he says they're angry, right? They're like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Have you ever seen that? A bear? No, I haven't seen that. But, but I, I, I imagine that's some serious stuff, right? The, the cubs and the bear, I mean, like, mauling and the whole thing, right? And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. He's saying he's not going to camp right out there in the open. This isn't going to be an easy uh, sniper attack here or pickoff, right? And I don't care if you have 12,000 men or not. You don't stand a chance, you know? Surely by now he is hidden in some pit, I think that's interesting that Hoshai has to tell that to Absalom, David's own son. It just shows you he's not thinking straight and he's not truly thinking who his father is. Surely by now he's hidden in some pit or in some other place, and it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, there's a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. He's saying, do you know what's going to happen? When your 12,000 men go in and Ahithophel goes with them, when about 1,000 or 2,000 of them are like getting knocked out, they're being just mowed down, everybody's going to turn around and say, hey, 
look at how David's mighty men are killing these uh, men that are with Absalom. We need to get out of here. Let's get, let's retreat. Let's run back. He says, don't you understand? This is actually going to hurt you, Absalom, because your people are going to flee. They're not going to stay in the battle. They're not going to have the day. They're going to become fearful because they're going to realize, man, these guys are, are battle ready, battle tough, and they're going to run. They're going to flee. He says, you're going to be off. You're going to be worse off, Absalom, than you when you were before you even went into the battle. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Now, at this point, we already read in the previous chapter, David's mourning. He's weeping. The men around him are mourning. This is not an accurate depiction of what's going on in David's heart at the moment. Is David a warrior? You better believe he's a warrior. But in this moment, he is broken because his son is waging war against him. And this is a no-win situation for David. He is broken. He's broken right now. This is not a man that's, you know, sharpening the axe and setting the traps and laying the snares and building battle-ready plans and, you know, uh, you know, primary and tertiary and, you know, different obstacles and challenges to flank. He's not even, he's not even putting together a, a military strategy at the moment. He's just trying to hold it together. But do you see what Hoshai did? Hoshai cast doubt into the mind of Absalom. He, he lied to him. He, he cast doubt, and he basically is saying, Absalom, you and your men will grow faint. The power of suggestive reasoning. It is powerful. That's why it's very important that we're careful to who we listen to, who we let in that close place in our heart, that counsel that we receive. The word of the Lord, God Almighty, Men and women that read the word of God, that have been placed in your life by God to be those counselors, to love on you and protect you. But certainly not just anyone who has an ear and certainly not anyone who has a, a mouth just to speak blasphemies or lies or whatever. More than enough people willing to do that. No, in this particular case, it's cast doubt in Absalom's mind. And now he's second-guessing everything. And what he's really doing is exactly what God had prayed, or excuse me, I meant to say David had prayed to God, where he would take Ahithophel's wisdom and just turn it upside down. This is answered prayer. So when you start to wonder, Lord, do you hear me? Do you hear my prayers? Because David at this point is how many miles away? He's mourning. He's putting sackcloth. He's going through the whole thing. He has no idea that there's a staff meeting going on back in Jerusalem. And God is already working through Hoshai because he hasn't got word yet. He's going to send word pretty soon. But he hasn't said word. But has that ever happened to you where you're praying and you're like, Lord, Lord, speak to my heart. What, Lord, I've asked, what should I do, Lord? And, and it's, it, it, you don't hear anything. Is God working? Is God, hello, are you there? And meanwhile, God is moving. We just don't see it yet. 
We have no idea all the ways God is moving in our, he's lining everything up. Right now, it will be weeks, three weeks to be specific until this all culminates to an end. And at this point, David has no idea where he started in the beginning of that three weeks to the end of that three weeks, how God is gonna weave this whole thing through and take care of everything for him. He has no idea. And it's the same thing that happens in our lives. We have no idea. But God goes before us and he hears the prayers. The prayers of a righteous man avail much. So please, be, be warriors, be prayer warriors. That's your mighty weapon. Prayer is your mighty weapon. Don't ever forget that. Therefore, I advise that all of Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba. Okay, saying from the north to the south. Like the sand that is the sea for the multitudes and that you, oh, wait a minute. What did he do here? Circle that. You, what did he do here? Oh, he's playing on Absalom's pride. This man, remember, this is the guy that got five pounds of hair. Remember that? He says you could trade it. It's like five pounds of talents. Of stuff. Like it's, and it's his very hair that's going to get caught on him <laughs> for what it's worth. But he says that you go to the battle, right? He plays to this man's pride. But what is he really doing? What's he really doing at this moment? He's buying time. He's buying time. That's what he's doing for David. He's buying time. He's got to get word to David. He's got to let him know what's going on. He's buying time. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. He basically says, we're not going to do what Ahithophel says because that's foolish. Do you think his mighty men are going to be betray David? No, we have to kill them all. We have to kill them all. We're going to outnumber them. He says, like the sands. He said, like the sand there of the sea. We're going to have so many multitudes. We're going to outnumber them. We're going to kill David and his mighty men. That's his plan. You see, you're going to get all the credit, Absalom. Everybody's going to look to you because you were there, Absalom. They're going to say, Absalom kills his hundred thousands, not ten thousands like David. Oh, well, Absalom's listening now. Pride. Pride is dangerous. Right? Right before the, the fall, you know, pride before the fall. Moreover, if he is withdrawn into a city, then all of Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will put it into the river until there is not one small stone found there. Right? He's, he's saying that um, until there's no military conquest or scenarios left. He's going to just, it's a way of saying we're going to take it all out. Verse 14, so Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hoshai, the archite, is better than the advice of Ahithophel. There it is. For the Lord has purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord, who? The Lord brings disaster on Absalom. Just as we read Second um, Samuel chapter 15, and look down with me again at verse 31. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now, you have to understand what else is going on in the staff meeting. Ahithophel, because he has always been that a trusted advisor, when he looks to Hoshai, and Absalom says, Hoshai, you're the guy with the plan. Ahithophel's disgraced. This is a disgrace. Ahithophel knows he's in a no-win situation because he knows what's going to happen. He knows that if he doesn't turn those men and you go out and you try to attack all those mighty men, 
they're all going to fight with fierceness, like, like we read, the, the bear with the cubs. And the chances are you're not going to take him out. The only chance you had is if you could have just got David alone, you might have been able to take David out and maybe got some of the mighty men to betray him. Maybe you could have done that. But to think you're going to take all these men and come against David and all his men and go to full-on civil war, Ahithophel knows it's not going to end well no matter how you do it. And then he's also thinking about his own skin, and now all of a sudden he's recognizing that he's lost counsel. He's lost the popular vote. How many of you just saw recently Netanyahu was nodded by the president of Israel? It's just form a government, right? This has been going back and forth for four different, he just recently, he says, okay, go ahead, try to form the government, Netanyahu. So this is good, right? We've been watching this, we've been praying, what's going on with Israel? They haven't been able to form a government, they're going to be able to form a government. But please understand that it's, it's giving of, it's basically giving a no vote count to the other guy. The other guy that's running against Netanyahu, when the president says that, he's basically saying there's a no count, there's a no count vote there. We, you don't have enough to build a government here. You don't have enough to form a government. You don't have enough influence. That's what Ahithophel's going through right now. Basically, you, you've been found wanting Ahithophel. This is going to be serious because it's going to lead Ahithophel to taking his life. He's going to commit suicide because of this. This is going to be one of the reasons he does. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. Then Hoshai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, that was the plan, if you remember, thus and so Ahithophel had advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. He basically get this to David and get it to him quickly. I've stalled as long as I could. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. You see, he knows Absalom's unstable. He could turn around and say, We're going to go now. He knows he's unstable. So, David, get out of there quickly. They're coming. Now, Jonathan and Amaz stayed at Enrogel, for they dared not see coming into the city. So what happens is the priests that were supposed to wrangle out, they recognize that they didn't want to get seen. So what they're going to do is take this woman, a female servant, they're going to give her the word, and she's going to go out incognito to try to get this message to David. So a little variation from the original plan. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell the king David, right? That's sort of the chain of communications. Verse 18. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to the man's house in Barim, who had a well in his court. Obviously, the well is dry, apparently, at this point. And they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread the covering over the well's mouth and spread the ground of grain on it, and the thing was not known. So basically they were hiding out because Absalom and those people started seeing it, so they were trying to find him and track him down. So they were being hidden in, a, in an empty or a dry well that way. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Amaz, or Amaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They have gone over the water brook, and when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass after they had departed, that they came up to the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left, had not gone over the Jordan. Right Now, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, 
okay? He saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his households in order. So he was methodical about it. He went home. He put everything in order. This was not something that was a deranged moment. He understood what was happening, and so he put things in order, and then he hanged himself and died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. And, and I would suggest to you tonight what killed this man was not the fact that Absalom didn't just listen to his advice. What killed this man was the bitterness in his heart. He had never dealt with that bitterness, and finally that bitterness consumed him. It consumed him. He threw away everything, all his legacy, all of the 20 plus, 25 years that he had in faithful following King David, faithful advice. As we just read, I mean, did you read it with me. It says, oh, you know, that he says now the advice of Hethel, which was given in the days, was as if one had inquired at the oracles of God. That's how this man was known. What a legacy. But now, because of the bitterness, and he turned and he said, no, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. Once again, my will be done, not God's will. Then David went to Manahim, or Manahim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, and he and all of the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain. Now, this is important. You'll understand why he does this in a minute of the army instead of Joab. First of all, that makes sense. Um, Joab, obviously loyal to David, been with David, been his general for a number of years. Amasa, okay, you know, um, just so you know, uh, Amasa is uh, David's nephew, okay? He's David's nephew. So there's still a blood connection there, but he feels like he can trust Amasa more than he can trust Joab. This Amasa was the son of the man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nashar, the sister of Zariah, Joab's mother. Again, again, all basically just saying that that explains why he's David's nephew. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now it happened when David had come to Menahem that Shobi, the son of Nash and Rabbah, and the people of Ammon, Mekar, the son of Emil from Lodobar, or Debar, and Brazilii, the Agilidite from Regilim brought beds and basins, earthen vessels, and wheat, barley, and flour, and parched grains, or parched uh, grain, and beans, lentils, and parched seeds, honey and curd, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Do you know what's so cool about this? These people we just read, they're all Gentiles. Not one of them's Jewish. Not one of them's a Jew. These are all Gentiles that are actually providing for David and his mighty men and all those that are with him. I think that's awesome. Because where God guides, God provides. And God knew that they needed support. And he chose this wealthy man. This man was wealthy. He was able to do this. Chapter 18, and David numbered the people who were with him. Now, last we left David, right? 600, maybe some wife and children. Now look at chapter 18. And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains over the thousands 
and captains over the hundreds of them. David now has to set captains. That's how many people there are. Here he is in the wilderness. He's flying. He's heading over the Jordan. He's, he's, he's getting and, and it started at 600. Now he's got thousands of men because of their loyalty and their love for David and because they recognize that David is the rightful heir, the rightful heir to the throne, the rightful king. They were loyal to God in his choice, his ordained. So they set these captains and hundreds over the people. You see, I think that's so cool. Righteous men were basically flocking to David as God was sending them. And that's the same thing he can do for you and I. That we're in those times of trouble. Lord, how is this going to work out? We need help. And you might be thinking, who, who is going to help me? Oh, God can send them. Thousands. So many that you don't even know where to put them all and feed them. And how you're going to, I mean, how would he have taken care of all these men previously? He was struggling to think about how he was going to take care of 600 men. Remember, he, should, he told Hoshai, you go back. I don't want to be, you're 80 years old. I don't want to, you're better off as a spy. I don't want to try to have to figure out how to take care of you, especially as you're, you're up there in years. I don't want anything bad to happen to you. How, how do I, you know, and now he's got thousands to care for as he's fleeing here. The pressure that must be on David, the only difference is we don't read that here. There's nothing in there about pressure that's on him because this is the spirit of the Lord that's moving on these people to come and help David. And David just can't believe it. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third of the hand of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Atai, or Etai, his brother, right, of Atai's brother. Now, one-third of the hand of Atai, the Gittite. Now, I meant to say Joab's brother, uh, Abishai, but then one-third of Atai, the Gittite. Now, if you remember, he's only been with David how many days? One day. This guy comes in one day, but he must have been a fierce I don't know, passionate war here, because after one day, he's like, you take a third of the men, we're going. This guy's all in. I love this guy. I love this guy. I, the Gittite, it's a tie the Gittite. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. I'm like, you're the guy. I mean, this is the... <laughs> and the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. And David was willing to go. He wanted to go. But his men love him. And they recognize, well, David, you're getting a little bit older there. You know, maybe it makes sense for you to turn around and, and it's important your role, David. You're the king. And let us go out and fight. And David, you make sure you, you do the kingly things, David. That had to be humbling for David. But, I, I, but David's kind of like, I don't care. Whatever you want me to do. He's learned. He's, he's you know, he's 60 years old at this point. He's been around town. He's learned enough about arguing whether I should go. All right, you want to go? You go. I'll stay, but whatever you say, you know. He just has learned he's not going to fight up a losing battle that way. You shall not go out, for if we flee away, they will not care about us, nor if half of us die, will they care about us? But you are worth 10,000 of us, for you are now more help to us in the city. So they step up to protect him. Then the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So this thing, the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by the hundreds and by the thousands. You, you guys know David's a mighty man. This, this had to be hard. This had to be hard. David's coming back going, but I want to be out there, right? Don't you remember? It's the greatest hits, 10,000. You know, I'm the guy. No, he recognizes God has a place, and, 
And I think that's the hardest thing for, for us. I don't know about you guys. You ever think about that? You, you know, as we get a little older and things change in our lives, we, we want to do so many things, things that we used to do. And a lot of times the Lord changes the season in our lives, and he has different things for us. But we seem to run back to the things that we used to do, you know, and I don't know, in my life, I, I've laughed because I don't know, I, I like construction, you know that, that's my, my background before in Microsoft, and I, and I love to build things, I love that, you know, the guys at the church, you know, when we were even here, I'm knocking walls down, they're like, no, 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 Pastor, you got to go home and study, I'm like, no, no, give me one more wall, you know, and upstairs, you know, uh, we were doing the classrooms for the school, and uh, the guys were away, so I knew I could take a wall down before they even got here in time. So I'm just ripping sheetrock down. I think Jennifer was upstairs. She's like, wait a minute, don't we have to take the wires? I'm like, shut the breaker off. We'll be fine. Run through the wall, you know? And they're like, you got a lot of, you're not right, huh? And I'm like, and I'm like, you know, and so Pastor Bill comes in. He's like, what are you doing in there? Not, nothing, 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 you know? And he turns around. He's like, ah, what am I going to do with you? You know, we, we, but we know our tendencies, don't we? We, we like to do those things, but sometimes we have to recognize the season we're in. And God has a purpose and a plan where we are. And if we're doing what, what he has called somebody else to do, then who's doing what we were called to do? See, there's wisdom in that. And, and David recognizes this. Sixty years later, he recognizes this at this point. Now, the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Atai, saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captain's orders concerning Absalom. Now, this is important. He did this in front of everybody. He wanted not only these three generals, these three men that were going to lead, but when he said deal gently, what he's really saying is bring my son back alive. Bring my son back alive. Don't kill him. Bring him, bring him back alive. Please notice the other thing is David is not, not one, you know, wavering in any way. He's confident. He's confident. He's not saying if you win the battle, whatever goes on. He says, no, deal gently with my son. He knows because God is with him. He knows there's nothing he can't do when he's in the Lord's will that way. He knows that's going to happen. But he still... Loves his son, no matter how wrong or what he's done. He loves his boy. So the people went out into the field of the battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. Now, David chose the terrain here. You, you, you do realize this. He is a military leader. He's very strategic. He, he, Ephraim, if you know that area, it's flat. One, it's kind of flat. It's not mountainous. He could have kind of made it a little bit more. But what he did is he went into a wooded area in Ephraim. If you ever did um, combat training or you ever did boot camp or anything like that where you got out and you did um, tactics fighting in jungle or around trees, or, or even if you've gone on a mission trip. You know, I, we went on a mission trip many years ago to Central America and there was heavily wooded areas. And these young 12-year-olds and 10-year-olds have machetes. And they're, you know, whipping them out and they're knocking, you know, basically because if you, you get through there, it gets so thick and dense, you can't what? You can't see. So now picture this. You've got a 1,000, a couple thousand men. They've got 12,000. Do you want to fight in an open field where everybody can see everybody? Or do you want to fight in a guerrilla warfare tactic where when people are coming in, you can take them off one at a time, and they don't even see it coming? 
You see, David's smart. He understands, and God's given him that mind to think that way. That's exactly what he's doing here. And so he's brought him to this place, and he from these wooded area, and they're going to come through. The simplest way I've heard it explained to me before, you know, when I've sat under this teaching, somebody once said, and it makes so much sense, if you have a hallway and you have to take 12,000 people in front of them through a six-foot opening, you can literally stand there with a few people and just do what? Woof, woof, woof. I mean, you can just take them out one at a time because they can't get to you any other way. That's exactly what David has set up here by choosing the terrain. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. Because remember, he, Ahithophel, had said 12,000, but then Hoshai said, no, send more. And so like the sands of the sea, he sends 20,000 in, and we don't read about a, we just read how they're all taken out. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. He's saying that getting in the woods, you know, you get around those branches, you get around, you can impel yourself. You can literally impel yourself to the branch. You can decapitate. There's a whole lot of things that can go on. You know, you could fall, get caught in the muck, you know, muck that way. Even if the sword does hit you, the sword wouldn't have naturally hit you so cleanly had you been free and un unencumbered. And that's what it's the scripture's presenting this. It, the other thing it does is it favors a more skilled soldier. Because when you're in a battle environment like that and you have to turn around and you have to wield a sword, or you, have to, you can't just, you know, ah, you know, swing it like, you know, you have to be, because you have trees around you, you have to be very precise and you have to be quick right to the mighty men. This is what they did. This was right up their alley, so to speak. I think it's, it's tougher than most people think. It's tougher than it sounds to fight in a wooded area like that. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under a thick bow, or picture like a tree with all these weeds and entangled and everything coming through it. He's riding on a mule, and the mule went under the thick bow, and a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the his hair. You remember how he had that hair? Everybody, he was like, you know, a picture of that commercial, you know, the, you know, the whole thing where he, you know, he flicks it back. I can't do that. I, I'm losing my hair. But you know what I mean? He flicks it back and, you know, you could just picture the quaff, man. And so he does this and what's the quaff do? It gets wrapped around in the tree to the point of, you know what it does? It ends up hanging him. It ends up hanging him in the air. He's actually caught up. Not that he's hanged like to death, but I mean, he's literally, he's not hanging on the mule anymore. Mule keeps, keeps going and he's just like hanging there. You ever, you ever see the cartoons with the guy with his suspenders and he's just hanging like on the tree and you know, this is what, this is what it's, scripture's painting the picture. This is what it was like. He got caught with his head and everything that was hair and it gets caught in this terebinth tree. And it says, so he was left hanging between the heaven and earth. And the mule, which was under him, went on. So the mule just, just kept riding, like, I'm gone. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. Can you? He's caught in the brush. And so the man comes by and he's hanging. So Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him? Why didn't you strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. Isn't that interesting? Because he had said, bring him back alive. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Atai, saying, beware lest anyone touch 
the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life, for there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. <laughs> Joab's going, that's true. I mean, he can't really say anything. He's like, yeah, he's like, I'm done with you. I'm going to go handle this myself. So Joab said, I can't linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand, and he thrust them through Absalom's heart. You know, we, we need to just process this for a minute here. David had given a command. He is the king. He is an authority. And he said, bring him back alive. Joab also loves David. And he knows that this cannot end well. So Joab's in this tough place. Do I obey? And the answer is always yes, unless God tells you differently. Or... Do I turn around and do what I think is right? See, he's not concerned with David's emotions. He just wants to protect his brother. He just wants to protect the king. The reason I bring this out is, as we're going to read later here, there's going to be a battle that goes on within David because David is not only a king, he's a father. He's a father. And the rage that's going to go on inside of him as a king is one thing, right? But the pain and the humility that must come as a father to watch your son. Please understand, the baby was taken from him. Amnon was murdered by his brother Absalom. This is now his third child. And he doesn't want him to die. And, and God said this would happen. The sword's not going to... But he doesn't want him to die. And you got Joab, on the other hand, that is trying to protect David because he knows that in some ways David's going to struggle between doing what's right as a father and being king because that's what David's been struggling the whole time, right? He didn't correct Amnon when he did that. He didn't turn around and correct Absalom when he sinned like that. And uh, Amnon had raped, you know, and he didn't correct Absalom. And it's just been leading to murder and sin or sin and murder. So Joab's in this difficult place. But as we're going to read in the future, it's going to cause Joab to lose his role as general. And as a matter of fact, it'll be one of the things that Solomon will deal with Joab on. Because David doesn't know that Joab is the one that does this at first. But eventually he finds out and he puts Amasa in his place as commander because he knew what he had done to David cut him deep, and it was, there was, a, there was going to be a, a consequence to that. So I just want you to see that the complexity of what's going on. He's a real man. Job's a real man. He loves David, but he also has to make this split decision on what to do. He should have honored what the king said. The king is an authority. He should have done what David had instructed him to do. He, if, if there was a threat or he was going to harm David, yes, then by all means, but he chose to do what he thought was right and put David's emotions aside because he knew as a father he was going to struggle with this. And in some ways, we, we need Joabs in our lives. We need Joabs in our lives, people and men that will protect us. But we also want men that are going to protect us and, and ladies, women that will protect you and men. But we want to make sure that those people are willing to be humble enough to question, you know, go to God. What should I do in this situation? We read nowhere that Joab stopped and prayed and sought the Lord. He asked or inquired of God, what should I do? 
We don't read that anywhere in scripture. This is Joab reacting in emotion to protect his friend, to protect his king. It's very difficult. This is, this is real. We all go through difficulties of these things like in life. This is real. Just like our lives and our circumstances, this is real. Then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. Again, David's downfall is always protecting his son from the consequences. He enabled his kids. He enabled his boys. So Joab blew the trumpet, the shofar, and the people returned from pursuing Israel. For Joab held back the people, right? That signaling the trumpet was to say that the battle had ended. And they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid him in a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel and everyone fled to his tent. You see, this is interesting in how he died because in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21, it said that when you have a disobedient son, according to the law, what were you to do? You were stoned him to death. Absalom was a disobedient son, and what ended up being piled on top of him? Stones. It's interesting. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley, because I guess everybody just needs a pillar like that, you know, I guess with his hair on it. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it's called Absalom's monument. You know, we're going to stop there tonight. All of us leave a legacy. You know, Absalom's legacy was one of a traitor, one that committed treason, one that murdered, one that didn't seek good counsel. You know, he didn't surround himself with righteous men. You know, what's your legacy going to be? Every one of you, what's, what's your legacy going to be? What, how are people going to remember? How are you going to be known? How are you going to be remembered? Are people going to remember you for your righteous thoughts and deeds, your actions, others focused? Because we're all going to be remembered. But how will we be remembered? You know, we start strong. But do we finish strong? We are so close to the end of the race. I really believe that. For many of us, some closer than others. But we're close to the end of the race, you know? I think the average lifespan for a man is, what, 76 now, 77 years, if I'm not mistaken. A woman, I think it's 81. It used to be 85 and 79 or something like that. And now it's brought down to 76, I think, in 81. If you're over 40, you're on the back nine. I'm on the back nine. And I just think about those things. You know, I want to run strong. I want to run the race that God has put before me. I want to finish strong. You know, in my heart, I don't know about you, I look in the mirror, I'm just getting started. 
right? I, I don't look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm over four, man. I'm no, no, no. I'm just getting started. The best is yet to come. And I really believe that. But every day I have to make a decision. Will I surround myself with righteous men? Will I have righteous thoughts? And will I be a vessel being willing to be used by God? If I can just do those three things and follow the will of the Lord, I will hear, well done and good, good and faithful servant. Now enter into your rest. This is not the time for me to rest. It's time for me to get after it, to be about my father's business. I want to encourage all of you. Read your word. Whether you're younger, you know, 15, 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever age, 60, 70, 80. Because Hoshai is going, hey, I'm 80, I'm just getting started. And he was being used by God, wasn't he? He was used by God mightily to confound the wisdom of Ahithophel to Absalom. God has a purpose in every one of our lives and a plan for every one of our lives. If we just will walk in obedience, that's all he's ever asked for us. He actually says in 2nd, what is it, 2nd Samuel 15, or 1st Samuel 15, excuse me, I desire obedience over sacrifice. Hmm. Will you stand with me? Let's worship our Lord. We have so much to be thankful for. Have the musicians come up? Go ahead and read ahead, uh, verses 19. We'll uh, read ahead to chapter 20 for next week, if the Lord should tarry. And, um, and I, I encourage you to pay attention to David's heart. As you read this next passage here, you're going to see David focusing more on his, the aspect of his parent or being a father. You're going to see just this broken dad. To the point of, again, where we need a Joab in our lives to say, snap out of it. You are king. You are going to lose the allegiance of all these men that just went to battle with you, just went to war with you. And all you're doing is you didn't come out and even greet them, which was the custom of that day. You just began to go in and mourn, and you didn't even... We all have to make those tough decisions and tough choices in our lives but God first and all the consequences be left to him amen let's worship our Lord and Savior